Welcome back to Vaccinated, a myth-busting podcast aimed at dispelling misinformation about immunizations. Today, we're so happy to welcome Professor Heidi Larson on our show. Professor Larson is the founding director of the Vaccine Confidence Project, an organization focused on tackling issues such as mistrust, polarization, and disinformation relating to vaccines. She has previously worked at UNICEF as the head of global immunization communication and at the WHO SAGE Working Group on Vaccine Hesitancy. She is a professor at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine and at the University of Washington, Seattle. In 2020, her book was published titled Stuck, How Vaccine Rumors Start and Why They Don't Go Away. So Heidi, my first question for you is, what is vaccine hesitancy and why are we seeing it? Well, vaccine hesitancy is actually quite a bit like what it sounds like. It's hesitating about vaccines, which I think sometimes it's gotten a bit of a bad reputation because it gets equated with um, vaccine refusal and anti-vaccine, but actually It's really about when people are undecided and and questioning, and you can have people who are a little hesitant, which is perfectly normal and and frankly a bit responsible, but I think what's new about it in terms of how it's come into um, circulation as a term is that we used to just assume that everyone would take a vaccine, and if they didn't, they must be a refuser. But in fact, what we're increasingly acknowledging is that there's a spectrum of concerns and it can vary also by vaccine. We see it most acutely by the people who make the decisions. And in the case of um, adolescents, um, less so with young adults who are of an age where they can make their own decisions, but take the HPV vaccine, for instance, Um, They are recommended for generally uh, 11, 12 years old, and usually at that stage, it's the mothers who have to give permission or parents, um, either parent, caregiver. We've done some interesting research on that, for instance, with young young girls. Uh, Some of the young girls were more keen on the vaccine than their mothers, and they even understand why their mothers were in such a tizzy about this vaccine. They said, you know, I don't want cancer. I want that vaccine. Um, I don't know what my mom is so stressed about, you know. And in other cases, the you know, the young girls hear more about it. So I think it depends on the vaccine. We certainly have seen with the COVID vaccine, um, younger teenagers, for instance, have not been too keen on the vaccine and feel like, You know, why do we have to get this to protect old people, so to speak, Um, when in fact not really appreciating that they're um, at risk. And that's partly because our our fault as the community and really focusing a lot on the risk to older people. Um, So it depends on the vaccine. So we've heard a lot from parents is, why do my adolescents need all these vaccines? Um, including HPV, the Tdap, meningitis B. Unity's survey has shown that parents are uncertain about the benefits and worry about the risks about these vaccines for their adolescents. And what would you say to parents with that question? One, I would, you know, I would probably have something different to say about each of those vaccines. Um, and, uh, you know, parents need some human stories. 
And I think they particularly want to hear about stories or, you know, um, the reality in their area, either their setting or in their, you know, age group on why they should be concerned. And actually, what are the risks? Parents in particular, they tend to think of vaccine risks more than disease risks. Hmm. Partly because we've been really successful with vaccines and, you know, they're not seeing the, the kind of outbreaks that made it obvious to parents. And is there anything that surprises you about adolescent hesitancy towards COVID vaccinations? Whenever I hear people's resistance or questioning, I try to put myself in their shoes, so to speak. And when I think about it, you know, they... We really had such a strong focus on people, older people, people with any underlying conditions that they were the most at risk, the most urgent. Um, and without really talking about the fact that as we vaccinate more and more of older people, the, the virus is looking for a home. Mm -hmm. So it, it was inevitable that it was gonna be in affecting more and more younger people. Well, your immune systems are stronger when you're younger, for sure. So that's a good thing, but you know, you're not invulnerable, particularly to a new virus that um, you know, is, is brand new and there's not a lot of herd immunity around. So I think we could have done a better job of uh, at many levels with the awareness and engagement. We do need to have more engagement with uh, school age, teens, younger adults. And I think we have, we really need to get more into school curriculums for mm -hmm. a start um, and in forums, um, whether it's, you know, scouts or whether it's other kinds of places people gather, young people gather. Um, it, it's really important because they're going to be the next parents also. And if they have a bad experience or a bad image of vaccines, it's not only going to be about themselves, it'll be about others. Right, definitely. And I think that's what Unity is really trying to focus on is, you know, having preventative health be the forefront for adolescents because they are the future and they will be making decisions for their children as well. So you make a good point. Now, I kind of wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about your book. So you recently published a book in 2020 titled Stuck how vaccine rumors start and why they don't go away. So I wanted to give you the space to tell us a little bit more about that. Well, Stuck is, um, my, the last chapter in the book actually was, interestingly, is called Publics and Pandemics. Um, and that was before we knew that, I mean, we knew one was coming down the pipeline, but not as soon as it did. So it was a bit of a a road test for, for how relevant the book was to a pandemic. And actually it turned out to be even more relevant than I thought. And what was interesting with Stuck is that I, I went through, it's a book that reflects on a lot of learnings and, and stories and situations from the last 10, 15 years of um, my group's research on this, but through the lens of a lot of stories and, and, ways you can talk about things that you can't in an academic paper, frankly. And it was meant in a popular science track. Um, 
And stuck, uh, you know, well, they're stuck being like stuck with a needle, but there's also stuck in the conversation. Um, and I feel like right now, and I at, felt when I was writing the book that we're stuck in the conversation between the public and um, the public health and scientific community. Um, it, it totally different orbits, not really connecting um, enough, um, a lot of hesitancy on the part of public health and science to engage through, for instance, social media. And I understand that because it's full of emotion and opinion and all the kind of messy stuff that scientists are not keen on. Um, and it can be quite toxic, as you know, but that's where a lot of the public is living. And if we don't have, and by not being there, we've frankly given a wide red carpet for all kinds of alternative views. So I feel like we need to find new ways of engaging, of listening, of dialogue. So it was very much about dialogue, but it was also about dignity. And I tried to give different perspectives in the book. Um, and what's interesting is I've had people from the more uh, vaccine reluctant, even refusal side, as well as the more pro-vaccine side, I got, I've gotten, and I really didn't expect this, thank yous from both sides. He said, thank you for not blaming us. Um, and one of my points is there's no, there's no one culprit in this situation that you know, we can all do better in different ways. And I looked at the perspective of the healthcare provider, the, the fr their frustrations. I looked at you know, moms who were more pro-nature um, versus the vaccine from, uh, from different, different perspectives and try to get, come out with the fact that this is, a lot of this is about dignity it's about respect for people's opinions. Um, it's about uh, emotions. Uh, and I also have a whole chapter on the volatility of emotions and, and also how new forms of, of technology, particularly social media, you know, have this um, emotional contagion that emotions can fly from Japan to Denmark to um, to Colombia and South, South America. I felt like a lot of people were focusing on that, but what was missing was all these people who felt stuck in the middle mm -hmm. where, you know, mothers feeling like they couldn't even ask a question about vaccine and they would be judged or they would be, you know, as one mother said, I just had a question about a vaccine. I'm not a flat earther and how, you know, her concerns were dismissed as if she was some crazy conspiracist. Thank you so much for going into that. Um, I'm curious in your research, um, especially when you talked about dignity and dialogue, did you happen to come across any stories that varied with how parents would, would present vaccine hesitancy for adolescents versus if they had younger children or parents of younger children? How does that vaccine hesitancy um, present itself versus those two age groups? It's interesting. They are different issues. For infants, I think some of the anxieties are, and you know, for infants, 
they don't have a point they don't have the opportunity to make a choice they're yeah. kind of you know in the hands of their moms and what's interesting actually is there have been a few um teenagers who have started to speak up who were children of anti-vaccine mothers mm -hmm. and at a certain age they said you know my mother didn't want this but i want it i'm 18 i can vote i can drive a car i want my vaccine and some of them kind of kicking back against their mothers saying we know the science we understand these are important we want them so that's an interesting trend because you know they're at an age where they feel like they didn't have a voice before they do now but that's a, I have to say, it's a minority, but it's, I've seen it come up more and more. It's just quite an interesting reversal. I mean, I know there's a lot of trials now looking to make the HPV vaccine younger. So it's, it doesn't get interfered with all the other stuff you're dealing with, mm -hmm. <laughs> with teenagers. In fact, if the vaccine was for, you know, six to eight years old, it's more of a preventive thing for some time in the future, but because it's landing just at the time where, you know, it makes people uncomfortable and it's not just parents, actually, we've had interviews with some doctors who are, I don't want to go there with the parents of this girl because, you know, it's awkward for us. I think that's one of the bigger differences. Um, and I think one of the big differences is that, you know, adolescents have a voice and infants don't. So it becomes more of a dialogue or attention, frankly, depending on the vaccine. As the founding director of the Vaccine Confidence Project, has your work had any focus towards improving vaccine confidence in the United States? So we're about to launch a, a cities uh, project with uh, Rio, New York, Paris, Abuja, Delhi, and Bangkok. Um, because there's a lot of mobility and a lot of issues within that, you know, we'll have uh, the New York window, but we're also doing uh, nationwide, statewide. We did have a special focus on HPV and, and still do. Mm -hmm. So we have been looking at the HPV situation in the U U.S. What's interesting is the U.S., um, certainly more than Europe, is much has much more uh, issues about um, the link to sexual promiscuity and anxieties about that, and some of the, you know, we have a bit of the religious right um, and anxieties there. Europe, that's not their concern. It's very safety specific. So, what are your thoughts on addressing specific anxieties with adolescent vaccines and safety specific concerns? We need to get girls on board as our partners in this because the more they know the more they understand and the more they stand up for it um i think it's gonna it's gonna matter and it's gonna be important for them not only for the hpv vaccine but that's an age where you know um you're still not probably going into childbearing but you know, it can happen anytime. <laughs> right. And and so I think, you know, it's your first, um, as a young woman, it's, it's really the first time you need to, you're confronted with a vaccination because younger than that, 
you know, you weren't really involved in that. And I think it starts getting you thinking about decision-making around vaccines, which is gonna be important for, you know, um, if you decide to become a mother or, you know, adult vaccines. So it's a really important time for, for I think, teenagers and, and um, young adults to um, have a good experience around that, a supported experience. We really need to not underestimate how much that period is not just about that one vaccine, but you know, entering and being a formative time for their views on vaccines. Definitely. And when you're talking about giving a little bit more of a voice to the adolescents themselves, how do you think adolescents and young adults can approach their parents or guardians to discuss vaccine safety? I find the schools are a really important kind of neutral place. It's hard to bring it up at home um, in a, and we've heard this from girls. It's better, you know, if you can get it into school and then you come home from school with like, this is what we learned at school today. And this sounds like it's a really important thing for me. And my friends, we all really want to get it together. I mean, so, and, and in a number of places, the vaccine's given at school. In, in the UK, for instance, it's all pretty much a school program. I think having the opportunity um, and I don't know, you know, with a school nurse or with, with someone who comes in and talks with the school, I think forums outside, I don't know, other places that girls get together, uh, getting engagement online. I think at, at the end of the day, getting local engagement with peer groups in their language, in their, with their idioms, in ways that, you know, it's relevant to them because a lot of the generic information is way too generic. And it's mm -hmm. just it's not about me. That's about somebody else. Definitely. I think Unity has learned that, that the peer to peer interaction really can be valuable with boosting vaccine confidence, whether it's between parents or between adolescents. So just to finish off, I'd like to give you the space to announce any upcoming projects you might be working on. Well, two things. Uh, one is the, my book Stuck um, is coming out in paperback the first week of July in the US. But more importantly, we're increasingly um, thinking of ourselves as the confidence project because it's about confidence in science. It's about trust, mutual trust. One of the big things we've learned in COVID is that the things that we've learned in our 12 years since I founded the Vaccine Confidence Project, a lot of these dynamics that are affecting vaccine acceptance affected people's willingness to wear a mask, their, their uh, willingness to have these COVID passes, their collaboration and cooperation with social distancing, mm -hmm. and we've seen it. So we're really um, focusing much more on what are the levers of trust and confidence that will help publics cooperate more. I'm my biggest worry is polarization, and the U.S. is, and you know, really one place. I, I mean, I'm American. <laughs> I, I mean, I see it around the world, but it's been so acutely played out in terms of vaccine. People have died because of it, and that's, that's not okay. So we've got to work on the conversation. 
Well, thank you so much, Heidi, for taking the time to speak with me today. It was truly a pleasure. For our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about the Vaccine Confidence Project, check out our episode notes to find links to their website, along with a link on where to pre-order the paperback version of Stuck, which comes out in the U.S. July 2022. Follow Unity on our social media channels, including Instagram and Facebook, and make sure to click that subscribe button to stay up to date on our latest episodes. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.